even at that age, I knew there was a difference. I, I was different. Uh, I knew I looked different from everyone. I knew that our family looked different from other families. But it, I didn't understand why. And it didn't really bother me because, again, inside the house, we were all considered equals. It was only outside just how we were treated or how I was treated. This is United States of Race, personal stories of how our earliest memories determine a lifetime of relationships. Each episode features one guest sharing their experiences with race. Listen without prejudice to their real uninhibited stories because by sharing when we first learned we are all different, we find the common thread that shows us how much we are all the same. I'm your host, D.B. Crema. Gabe is tired of trying to make others feel comfortable around him. And after years of learning to survive in an unwelcome environment, he wants to see action and change. When did you become aware of race? So we camped a lot when I was growing up and we would go everywhere all over the country actually to camp. Um, I remember one, one incident where we were in a Wyoming, Cheyenne, is that right? And I was a toddler at the time, walking down the street holding my mother's hand. And I think I was too close to the edge of the, 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 the curb. And my father was a few steps ahead. And apparently, from what I was told, I, I actually vaguely do remember this, but the, 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 the circumstances behind it, I was told later. Um, there was a, a truck that came speeding by and tried to hit me. Um, my father happened to be turned around talking to us both, you know, cause he was in front of us at the time mm -hmm. and he saw the car coming, the truck coming and both he and my mother kind of jumped on me and pulled me closer into the curb and mm -hmm. the car missed. So he, you know, went off and they did yell something out the window and, mm -hmm. you know, things like that have happened. My father uh, has gotten into many fisticuffs, if you will, um, over the fact of having a black child. Um, um, that's happened a fair amount of times or not being accepted to this campground is, or any place for that matter, because, you know, we don't want his kind here or why do you have a black son? That's then you're, you're a traitor, so to speak. That's happened. Of course, you know, you see that all the time, but that's happened to us. Quite a bit. You'd be turned away from campsites because of it. Uh, that or restaurants or yeah, Absolutely. So I'm mixed race. I'm, I'm half white and black. Um, both my parents are white. So I was adopted uh, about one month old, I think it was. And you can imagine that with those optics living in the suburbs of Boston in particular, it, there, there was quite a bit to talk about, quite a bit to experience, if you will. So uh -huh. my actual family was great. Uh, my parents were very loving, very affectionate, very supportive I had a wonderful childhood as, as, as far as the family is concerned. Um, they, they didn't keep anything from me. So we had very open dialogue throughout my childhood. And um, we had all kinds of people in and out of the house, uh, different cultures and backgrounds and so forth. So I, I lived in a very open, free environment, which I'm very thankful for to this day. And they didn't hide anything from me. Um, I will say, though, that I didn't have a lot of knowledge of my my cultural background, so to speak. And I don't think it's because they chose not to immerse me in that. I think they just didn't know how to. And, you know, I wish that things were different in that regard, but 
Great childhood, no complaints. I was generally a happy kid, but the outside world didn't see that. Inside the house, it was great. Outside, it was a little different story. Why did your parents adopt you, black child? Well, if you ask either one of them, they said, because he was the most beautiful baby that we've ever seen. Come on. They probably lost a bet. I don't know. Um, I mean, knowing all the hardships that yeah. that a black child, a black male child mm-hmm. faces in this country, why did your parents choose to adopt a black child? Yeah, I, again, I, I don't think they chose to adopt me because of anything other than they couldn't have a child. They wanted to have an inclusive family. It didn't necessarily mean if they couldn't have one themselves physically, they just wanted to have a child. Mm-hmm. So when it came time for, for kids that were available, you know, back then, this is the early seventies. So they didn't, again, this is how, this is what they told me and you know, who knows, but they said, you know, they had a few options, but they looked at me and they, they saw that, that this is something that they really wanted and that they thought I was, I would just add to the family and they, they, I don't know, love it for a side, I guess. I, I, I really, I couldn't tell you, but what I can say is that, any social ramifications of doing so was really not top of mind with them. They didn't seem to be concerned about that at that time. They were more concerned about having a kid. And what type of kid didn't really matter, male, female, Asian, Latina, didn't matter. They just wanted a kid that they connected with, and that's where I came along. Um, I will say that I think they probably should have thought of that, (laughs) but they didn't uh, because things did get fairly bad at times. You know, again, this this is Boston. So in the early '70s, we're going through busing. We're going through a lot of segregation. There's a you know a, a lot of communities that just did not want any type of integration whatsoever. So even within their own families, uh, you know, we're, we're dealing with you know uh, Irish. You know, the, I didn't I didn't see my father's mother, so my grandmother, I guess I never call her that until I was 13. And the reason why I never saw her until I was 13 is because she didn't want to see me. And that wasn't kept from me. That was not kept from me at all. But when you're young, you know, I'm not getting a present this year. That's all you think about. You don't think about, okay, she doesn't want to see me because I'm black or that her son had a black kid. Eh, I don't care. Right. You know, it doesn't, doesn't really bother me. And it didn't. I think I am who I am is because I've had to learn to not live with a lot of this support or a lot of these people in my life. What did your parents teach you about your identity, your cultural identity, your race, racial identity? There was, unfortunately, there was not a lot of, of exposure to my cultural identity at all from my parents. As I, as I mentioned before, they, it's not because they didn't want to. It's I, didn't, I don't think they were equipped to. I don't think they knew how to. Um, and again, it, they wanted to give me everything they could. They wanted to give me every opportunity, every expose me to everything. And I was, but I don't think they were equipped to kind of hand over the reins to another uh, culture. Maybe they thought that I would escape and they would, I would forget where I was or who they were. But yeah, I think for the most part, the childhood was, was fine. It's once you ventured out to other places, go on a vacation with the family, um, wherever we would travel. Um, that's when I saw a lot of it, especially with two white parents. And, you know, it's funny because, you know, I was, the type of kid and, and, and person who was always caught in the middle from the white community and the black community. But generally it was me and hundreds of white kids, predominantly white school. I think I was one of two black kids in the school. And 
the, the strange dynamics about me growing up in that in that environment was I I was ostracized, but I was also at sometimes considered almost a mascot, if you will. You know, uh, you know, it's clearly a token. So I would be protected, but I was I would also be harassed too, to a certain point, of course, because towards uh, midway through high school, I got really big, and um, all that stuff stopped. Let's just say that. That helps. Which is great. <laughs> um, of course, this this elevated when I got older into let's say preteens and started to date and whatnot. And dating was a huge part of of my growing up. Now, you can picture that the, the suburbs are predominantly white, and let's just say that that what was available. I'm very, trying to be very respectful here. What was it? What was available were not not a diversity as far as the dating pool and the people I had access to were, were of course you know white girls and and whatnot and which is fine there's nothing wrong with that of course um, but the parents and the friends they didn't like it they didn't like it at all I can't tell you how many times I've either met parents specifically fathers of of not just girlfriends but friends um, mm. both male and female who just did not want me around and because when you're young you make light of everything because you don't understand the gravity of what you're dealing with so let's say for example i was out with a group of let's say six or eight people and we were wasting time at someone's house there would have to be these strategic moves to let's say if the parents come home where are we going to hide gabe you know what's he going to do so we would be carrying on and doing what we're not supposed to do. And then we'd see a car come up and, you know, the, shit, there's the father. And then I would make a mad dash for the back. Now, forget about dating a daughter. That was always in cloak and dagger mode. That, that was, you know, meet somewhere, don't let anyone know. Uh, and friends, too. Friends of said girlfriend, you know, because they could get back to the parents. Oh, did you know? Hiding from them. Yes, exactly. And... There, there were occasions where parents would find out, mm-hmm. and threats were made. Uh, you know, if you see Gabe, then you know you're done. What that would mean, I don't know. But I've had personal threats too. Well, if we see you with him, we're gonna we're gonna hang him, or uh, drag me um, by the car. You know, the absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yep. Would they say this to you? Like- I have been told that face-to-face uh, on a couple of occasions, but I've heard through either the girlfriend, who I would no longer see moving forward, or the friends, the communal friends, if you will. Mm-hmm. That was just commonplace. Right. So that happened. Um, one, one particular instance where, uh, as I was saying before, there was a group of friends and we met at this uh, friend's house uh, and she, uh, it was during, it was in the afternoon and her parents weren't home. It was, you know, it was like a Saturday afternoon or what have you. I think we were 15 or so. And we were just sitting in the, in the um, living room and drinking, of course, and uh, doing things that we probably shouldn't be doing. And the father and older brother did come home a bit earlier than they were expected. So what had happened was, you know, survival mode. Everyone started to freak out, clean up, but no one left. But they suggested that I leave. So, you know, I've never been to this house before. What do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? I'm a friend, too. I mean, the negotiation necessarily didn't happen that way. But so I Mm -hmm. found my way to the kitchen, to the back door, and I 
hid out in the backyard till they came in. Apparently, the father was really upset just that there was people in his house anyways, mm-hmm. okay? Um, then he saw me through the window. What is he doing here? Who is that? And I think they said, well, that's a friend of ours. By that time, I was running uh, through the yard, which in itself is all kinds of stuff. And I you know, was trying to run back home because I, I lived a few streets away. And apparently, he and the older brother who was, who was with him, um, they decided to come after me. They wanted to find me. So they got back in the car and they, they drove. All the rest of the friends stayed there because they were all white. And um, they went looking for me, apparently. Um, they did not find me because I did make it home okay. But I come to find out later that that's what they did, and they threatened the daughter, and they didn't even want any of the other friends over again, and they certainly didn't want me there again. So It didn't matter that, um, that, you, had wh- that you had white parents? No, not at all. Not at all, because what what people see is what they see i'm black so it doesn't matter where i come from who my parents are who i know who i don't know they see black they see i'm not like them they didn't care wow i mean clearly no parent wants to come home and find like a group of kids drinking in their house but it's telling that like nobody else moved exactly that's, it's in, that's indicative but not only did they not move but think about it they didn't even have the the foresight to think well this is wrong you know, here's our friend who has to do this, who has to escape before something happens. And we're just sitting here like nothing. I mean, I understand this is a 15-year-old brain. So they don't understand. They don't, you know, they don't get the social awareness. So they don't, they don't understand how something's wrong, how something could happen to one of their friends. And all they're thinking about is, well, as long as we just sit put and be silent, nothing's going to happen. They're not going to call our parents or what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's what it was like, you know. Mm-hmm. And over time, you learn to these mechanisms you learn over time how to survive in this type of environment. Um, it, it's, it's awful. It's survival, but it's how life is, especially in that environment. You right. know, like it doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter if you grow up in, in your skin color is your skin color. And that is the only factor. Exactly. exactly. Oh man. Meeting parents for the first time. I mean, that's, that's a big one. Um, I was, I was dating this, this young woman, quite a while ago. And, um, it got to the point in the relationship where she desperately wanted to meet her parents. Having gone through this many times before in the past, that's not something I want to do, <laughs> you know, especially, I, I don't know if it's a male thing or what, but it's definitely, it's definitely not a, a, a black male thing when you, when you're seeing a, a, a white woman, it's just not in the cards, but you know, you got to do it. And I remember having discussions with her, before the actual dinner, um, you know, a few days before, you know, what's it going to be like? Should we have an exit strategy? So forth, you know, uh, and she was not too concerned about it. Of course, she was in this kind of like, I'm so excited. He's going to come and I want to mix the two worlds together and all this. I go, no, you don't understand. You know what? I just want to, you know, we'll have a good time. I just want to understand what to expect. Okay. Oh, don't worry about it. It's all in your head. Now, let me tell you that, I've been told my entire life, it's all in your head. No, it's not. It's, well, it, it might be in 13.9% of the population of this country said, but it's, it's, it's there. Um, apparently, her mother t- asked her, <laughs> I'm sorry, I, I still, I, this still makes me chuckle. 
she had asked her, uh, uh, like, I think the day before our dinner, uh, she said, you know, I don't know what to do when he comes to the door. What, what's, what should I expect? Is he going to have a bone in his nose? She did say that. Is, what, what, did, what do they eat? Not what do I eat. What do they eat? She told me this. I was floored, but I started to laugh. It didn't shock me at all. And I actually, this, just because of my really bad humor and who I am as a person, I actually thought about showing up that night, putting a bow in my nose. I really did. I, I didn't because that would just be all kinds of a nightmare for everybody. But it, I didn't. And, it, you know, it, it's unfortunate, but people really do think that way. And anything to show the division between who you are and they are, is that's all they can focus on. Hmm. It goes far beyond skin tone. Did things ever change for you or how did, how do you? Yeah. You know, you get older, you have a different perspective on life. You have a different perspective of of your surroundings. You learn how to navigate things a lot easier in life, but I'm well aware of the division that we have, not only in this country, but just around the world, uh, how Mm -hmm. people see me. I also don't care anymore. I, I don't give a shit anymore. I really don't, you know, People just hate us so much. I can't get over it. I and but now I I, I found myself getting a lot more. Um, I don't know how to say this. Um, not angry, but forceful with with my cause and how I want to handle things. Let's just say that. I think it's about time. I, I'm not a, I'm not a conversation person. I'm an action person. I don't want to hear anyone talk. I don't want to sit down on the table and I don't want to discuss how we can move forward. I, I'm done. I'm done with that. I want action. We've talked for over 200 years. I, I don't want to deal with it anymore. You know, it's just not who I am now. What, what do you mean by you're more forceful? I mean, like you, you when, what do you mean by taking action? What I mean by forceful is that, you know, it, it, my tolerance level for for any kind of you know interaction that might go south is i just i don't tend to laugh it off these days i tend to get more involved i tend to i'm i'm exhausted i don't have the fight in me to make certain groups happy to make them feel comfortable when they're around me i mean for most of my life i had to do that which i i do know a lot of people of color have to do that i mean you know be it a job interview or going to the store or, you know, you know, always taking the brunt of a situation that might go south. Oh, that's me. That's my bad. You know, when it's mm-hmm. not, you know, that kind mm-hmm. of, yes. I mean, that, I'm not doing it, you know, but after a while, you know, making yourself small and in, in the background or, you know, not seen, I'm done with all that. You know, mm-hmm. I, I don't want to live my life anymore like that. I've had to do that for 40 plus years. It's just not, mm-hmm. I don't want to do it. I'm done. So if something goes south, I think my reactions to that are going to be a little different. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's funny because I'm seeing all this stuff happen now with my son. And we often talk about what he's going through. And it brings me right back to when I was his age. He's dealing mm-hmm. with the same stuff, meeting parents, groups of people being shunned by this group, being called mm-hmm. names. Certainly, he's been um, harassed by the police. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you? What have you talked to your son about? Well, like like me, when I was his age, he 
when something happens to him, he'll come to me and say, look, you'll never guess what happened. This happened. Why do they always have to hate us? He, he throws that one at me all the time. I, I, you know, sometimes I'm a little, I, I don't know what to say, but, you know, oftentimes I say, look, man, you know, this is something you're going to have to deal with, but don't let them take you down, man. You know, you have every right to be where you are, who you are fight for what you want to do in life. You know, this is your life. Don't let anyone tell you what to do. You know, when it comes to the cops, that's a whole other thing. I We've talked about how to deal with the cops and having the idea on all the time. Put your hands out there. Be respectful. All that. Even if you do all that, and that's happened to me too. Even if you do all that, they don't give a shit. They don't care. They don't care if your hands are out the window. If you say, okay, look, now I'm going to take my hands off the wheel and grab and get my um, idea, you know, whatever. They don't care. They do not care at all. You know, so we deal a lot with that. He talks to me a lot about that stuff. Uh, yeah, we talk a lot about that. We didn't talk a lot about this when I was growing up. Uh, and I don't know how you can't have those conversations now with your kids, especially in the current climate. And it's awful now. It's absolutely awful. So it makes sense that these conversations would be more, mm-hmm. um, you know, commonplace than they were again 20 30 years ago so mm, it's impre- prevalent yeah and because as i as i was mentioning earlier because of how i am now my, my tolerance level is is virtually non-existent at this point so i, I tell my son look look man this is the way it is and i'm not going to sugarcoat it i'm not going to say look it's going to be okay and if we work together we can make change fuck that i'm just i just do not feel i do not feel that way anymore you know, I, I try to be a person who embraces everybody, you know, and no matter who you are, where you come from, what you look like, who you sleep with, who you, you know, what you talk about, what you think. And, and I want my son to be the same way. But if, if people don't accept you, and I'm not talking about tolerate, that those days are over. Forget tolerate. You know, if they don't want to accept you, then it's okay. You don't have, you don't need them in your life, you know. But if they want to keep you down from advancing, if they want to, you know, oppress you in some way, then then that's where things have. We got to take a stand. We got to we got to storm the castle, so to speak. And that's what I. Those are the things I share with him right now. I go. Not everyone's going to like you. Maybe for who? If you're an asshole, you're an asshole. But if you're a black asshole, there's something different there. You know what I mean? Uh, you know. You're, you're unfortunately going to have to live, this is right, Talon, in a time where people just do not like you for the way you look. It's nothing you can do. Nothing you can do. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I just, you know, for me, I just hope that, you know, the rest of my time on this planet, you know, it, it, it's, is, is good. Like, I, I hope for everybody. I hope for you. I hope it's, it's good. I hope for my son it's good. You know, I... Because he has his whole life ahead of him, and I don't want it, I don't want him to have to experience too much stuff. Right now, it's it's pretty bad, but I'm I'm hopeful that uh, we'll all get through this. I really am. But if not, we I'm I'm ready to throw it out. Thanks for listening to United States of Race. This podcast was produced by me, DB Crema. Our artwork is designed by Ali Creative, and our recordings are done via Squadcast FM. With everything being remote these days, Squadcast delivers studio-quality remote recording for all your podcast needs. 
If you love great storytelling, you can follow United States of Race on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And show us some love by rating and writing a review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. You can also share this podcast with your friends and anyone who believes in the power of building connection through sharing personal stories. And you can follow us on Instagram at all one word, United States of Race. And as always, if you, yes you, have a compelling story to share and would like to be featured in an upcoming episode, send us a message at United States of Race at gmail.com. Until next time.